Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Boren. From cryptozoology, ufology, and the paranormal, to legends, forbidden history, and more, listen in and explore the world of the weird and unexplained. Join me as I look into strange and fascinating tales and unearth the truths and theories behind some of the world's greatest mysteries. Be sure to head on over to our HQ, strangeology.com, where you can check out our blog, episodes archive, gift shop, sign up to our email list, and so much more. For daily updates, trivia, shenanigans, and the occasional giveaway, follow us on social media over Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And now, on to this week's episode. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Strangeology Podcast. I uh, just want to wish everyone a happy spring. It's getting nice and warm outside. Things are, are finally sunny. And uh, here at Strangeology HQ, we're <laughs> under a big meltdown. And uh, I think there's a little bit of snow left outside, it looks like, but it'll be gone soon. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to not being so cooped up inside and, uh, you know, getting out and enjoying the nice weather. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone, for checking out the first John Teeter episode. It uh, quickly turned into uh, the most downloaded episode uh, in its first week of being out, uh, out of all my other episodes so far. It just, like, blew everything else out of the water, which is awesome. So I'm really glad that uh, people... See, you all seem to really enjoy it uh, so far. So, you know, today's episode's part two of that. So hopefully you all like it just as much. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, so before we get into uh, part two of the John Teeter saga, it's been a little bit since I've done uh, a weird news segment on the show. And uh, there's a quick story that popped up the other day that I kind of wanted to just look into. Um, you know, it's uh, UFO-based, and we all love UFO news here, so let's uh, see what this is all about. So this story comes from the Debrief uh, website. So back in December uh, last year, uh, if you hadn't heard, there was uh, this 180-day countdown for some of uh, some kind of UFO disclosure by uh, the U.S. government, uh, which began back then. And uh, you know, maybe this means that the public will learn some new knowledge about UFOs, or perhaps there's going to be some kind of like official government acknowledgement of the phenomena after, you know, it's been, what, 74 years since the Roswell incident. <laughs> so uh, in a recent interview um, uh, over on uh, Fox News, uh, apparently the most recent and uh, former director of national intelligence, this guy, uh, John Ratcliffe, uh, had confirmed that the United States government is aware of a lot more uh, sightings of unidentified aerial phenomena that are harder to explain uh, than has been made to the public. So 
this is kind of interesting because it's, you know, it's a little bit more of an escalation, uh, of, you know, uh, higher up, uh, figures and, and government that are, you know, starting to acknowledge and talk about these things. And he alluded to, uh, the, de- the declassified encounters and sightings like the, uh, David Fravor and, uh, that with the Tic Tac video, um, and those ones that were declassified a few years ago, but he also had mentioned other naval encounters and even things picked up within satellite imagery, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> because I was reading just the other day, there was some post on Reddit and people were complaining about how, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is this huge skeptic, uh, of UFOs and that there's no way that UFOs would ever, uh, from alien civilizations would be on earth or if their UFOs are like, I don't know. It's just a real huge skeptic. And he's, uh, he said things along the lines of, you know, if UFOs are real, we would have picked something up on Google earth. And, uh, you know, since all of the imagery is of course, uh, uh, from satellites on Google earth. Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting that, uh, Ratcliffe is uh, saying like, yeah, there's stuff that's been picked up on satellite imagery. So it kind of debunks uh, Tyson's little, little uh, claims there. Uh, and Ratcliffe also went on to explain that uh, when sightings occur, it's not usually an isolated source of uh, information that's pointing towards these things. Like it's, it's not just a pilot seeing something or the random uh, satellite he revealed that it's usually uh, multiple types of sensors that are picking uh, these things up, uh, whether it's radar or some other methods. Uh, the The interview didn't really uh, make that hundred percent clear, but you know, having multiple sources confirm uh, that there are objects uh, in our airspace that are unidentified and clearly uh, very technologically advanced beyond our own capability, um, you know, simply based on the maneuvers that they're doing and, uh, you know, no real, uh, indication of visible propulsion systems. And it's, yeah. So this is a pretty interesting piece of news. And, um, ultimately, you know, Ratcliffe, uh, believes that, you know, uh, it would be healthy to release this information to the public, which is what a lot of, you know, ufologists and enthusiasts into the phenomenon have been saying for years is that, you know, we should, the public, uh, has a right to know what's going on, but there's also the argument that like, Oh, maybe, you know, if, uh, the revelation comes to pass that, Hey, we're not alone in the universe and there's, uh, intelligent beings from elsewhere that are just here visiting us and monitor monitoring us. And, you know, things might, uh, break down on a societal level, but I, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, uh, that was the, the big news story, uh, for this segment. So, uh, let's get on with the show because it's going, going to get, uh, uh, a little, a little twisty turny. So, <laughs> all right, guys. So today we're going into part two of the John Teeter saga. If you haven't listened to uh, the last episode, 
But yeah, definitely check that out first before listening to this one, because that sets up everything that I'm going to talk about today. (laughs) And just for a quick recap, uh, where we last left off with John Teeter, uh, this alleged time traveler from the year 2036, uh, he had left our world line and headed back to his future. Uh, In the years since uh, this character's departure uh, from posting on the internet, many people have continued to believe his story, some almost fanatically. And while uh, this is going on, other people uh, have worked diligently to uncover the truth. You know, people who didn't quite buy into the story and thought there was there's something more uh, behind this, and they wanted to find out the truth of who this John Teeter person was. And if he was, in fact, a real person... Uh, who traveled back in time. <laughs> and uh, in the last episode, we covered a lot of Teeter's predictions, and uh, you know, pretty much all of them turned out to be false. Uh, none, none of it ever came to pass. There was no civil war. There was no mad cow, uh, no World War Three, where everyone gets uh, nuked. <laughs> um, so, the, and there's also, you know, a slew of other things that, that didn't come true. Um, but at the same time, there was a couple of allusions to things that uh, John Teeter had posted that may have made it seem like he knew about uh, the Second Iraq War, um, the War on Terror, or even the uh, the 2003 uh, Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Though, since all of that and, you know, recent world events and civil unrest, it does kind of make you raise your eyebrow a little bit. So what was this all about? Uh, A good place to start to unravel the story of John Teeter is to look at one person who developed a close relationship with this character. And a lot of the information I gathered um, for this segment (laughs) uh, came from this article of compiled quotes uh, and, and information uh, that's posted over on uh, Thrillist.com, uh, which was super duper helpful uh, in trying to make sense out of uh, the whole de- debunking of this story. So uh, buckle up, folks, because it's about to get weird. This person who got close to John Teeter is a woman by the name of Pamela Moore, uh, which Mike Save, a leading authority on all things John Teeter, interviewed at length about her interactions with the supposed time traveler back in uh, 2017. And out of everyone that Teeter interacted with online, Pamela Moore was the one who communicated with him the most. She was and still is uh, very much 100% on board with his stories. She's a true believer, apparently. And it's been said that they had a warm relationship And some actually thought it seemed as though she and Teeter knew each other a little too well. Like maybe they knew each other in real life, uh, which is a little bit uh, sus if (laughs) if I'm being honest. But, you know, let's give her the benefit of the doubt for now and uh, go on into what she's all about. So why Pamela Moore? Who who is she? Uh, why is she so important? What, and why did she believe so fervently in Teeter's claims uh, of, of being a man from the future? Well, in her 2017 interview with Mike Save, she 
revealed that back in 1998, she had this detailed dream uh, about this time traveler who came to her from the future and they had gone on all these adventures together. And now fast forward a couple of years and this dream has stuck with Pamela. When you sometimes have these crazy vivid dreams and you always remember them. Like there's, there's dreams I had when I was a kid or a teenager that I have never forgotten. Usually when you dream and you wake up within five minutes, it's gone. But for, for whatever reason, this was uh, such a real experience in her mind that it just never left. So fast forward to 2000, 2001, and she finds out about this guy posting on the old Art Bell forums, claiming to be this guy from the future. And there's this whole story that he's concocted about why he's here, what his mission is. And at that point, if she wasn't in on this story, <laughs> uh, I'm assuming she felt compelled to head over to the forums and to interact with this person as much as possible to find out what he was all about. And over the weeks and months that John Teeter was posting on these forums, they developed this sort of friendship, apparently, uh, mostly through private messages. And before Teeter exited our timeline, supposedly, he had shared this secret song with her uh, so that she would be able to identify uh, identify him if he ever came back and to also rule out anyone that might be claiming to be him, uh, you know, these time travel imposters, <laughs> um, since it was uh, common knowledge on the boards that uh, Pamela Moore and John Teeter were close. So apparently people have tried to figure out what this song is for years uh, to the point where it's kind of, it's almost become as important as the rest of the John Teeter story. But to this day, nobody besides Pamela knows what the song is. And Pamela is, has remained completely silent on its identity. <laughs> now we're going to start talking about, uh, the, the debunkers here. So in the last episode, I mentioned this guy, uh, he goes by the hoax hunter on YouTube and, and his blog. It's this guy by the name of John Houston. Um, also, his his moniker is uh, Rasmus. So sometimes you'll see people uh, refer to him as uh, John Rasmus, John Rasmus Houston. Uh, but for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to to refer to him from the rest for the rest of the episode as Rasmus, because you know there's a John Teeter. I think there's a few other Johns that are going to show up here. <laughs> so just to be just to make things easy. Uh, so this guy, Rasmus, uh, he de dedicated a lot of time into debunking the story of John Teeter. And I'd say that uh, he's done his homework pretty well. As far as the song, though, uh, this secret song that's supposed to identify Teeter uh, for Pamela Moore. Well, in 2009, Rasmus actually reached out to Pamela for an interview uh, via email to find uh, out a bunch of answers. And in regards to this particular song, she, she told him that she believed that Teeter knew the song. He was the, the only one who knew the song. Like maybe it was a song from the future <laughs> that hasn't been written yet uh, and never told anyone else. So it's kind of like a literally mumps the word on this super secret tune. Um, so 
<laughs> that's kind of like where that part of the story ends. Uh, so what else has Rasmus done to further the case against John Teeter being a real life time traveler? Well, in 2005, you know, among his other investigations into, into this uh, story, he decided to send an email to the theoretical physicist and co-founder of string field theory, Michio Kaku, uh, who is a pretty well-known physicist in the world today. So here's what Rasmus said in his blog. On Thursday, January 20th, 2005, at 6.55 p.m., I sent an email to Dr. Michio Kaku, a leading theoretical quantum physicist in the world and co-founder of string theory. I asked him the following question concerning John Teeter. I don't know if you've heard of the supposed time traveler named John Teeter. I believe he is fake, but thousands believe he's real. I think it would help for them to hear what a real theoretical quantum physicist has to say about it. You don't have to read his entire story to know the chances of him being a hoax or not. To summarize, a guy contacted Art Bell back in 1998 and later posted on the internet back in 2001 and claimed to be a real time traveler from 2036. He claims his time machine works by using too many black holes, and he claims this technology was already created by CERN. Could you tell me the chances of him being real? And apparently, Michio Kaku doesn't mess around with emails, and apparently, within 10 minutes, uh, Rasmus got a response from him. Uh, so here's what Michio Kaku had to say in response. Thanks for the email. For my thoughts about time travel, see www mkaku.org, and also Parallel Worlds. I think the person you mentioned is a fake. Many black holes do not have the power to bend time, and CERN certainly has not produced any. The LHC will be turned on in two years, and there's a small chance it might create a mini black hole, but these are subatomic in size and energy. Time travel may be possible, but not for a Type 0 civilization. Type 3 civilizations, however, may have access to the Planck energy, where this possibility opens up. Sincerely, Michio Kaku. From a, a leading theoretical physicist, you know, kind of <laughs> puts the nail in the coffin for time travel, at least any time in our, our lifetimes. As far as the civilization scales, I just want to do a quick sidebar here. If you're unfamiliar with the uh, civilization types that are outlined by Kaku. So basically, uh, the world we live in, you know, human civilization is a type zero civilization. And uh, this type is able to uh, extract energy from solar, geothermal, wind, and fossil fuels. And civilizations of this level are barely beginning to explore their own solar system. So it's pretty much like <laughs> we're the most primitive, right? Uh, and then when we go on to type one, a civilization at this level apparently can control the entire resources of their planet. And they can also control the weather of the planet. Uh, this civilization type has also explored their entire solar system and are on well on the way to starting to travel uh, interstellar di distances to other solar systems and explore the galaxy. If you've seen The Expanse, humans would probably be kind of in a transitionary period between a type zero and a type one. Uh, and that's still like a few hundred years out from where we are now. Um, and now things get crazier. So when we move up to a type two civilization, 
uh, these kinds of civilizations are apparently able to control all of the energy output from the uh, host star of their solar system uh, using Dyson spheres, which Dyson spheres are this um, gigantic uh, solar system sized construct, which <laughs> is able to you know, extract the, the, the energy from the star um, type two civilizations are also intergalactic um, exploring other galaxies within, within the universe. So uh, a civilization of this level is, is well beyond uh, Star Wars and Star Trek technology, though. Side, side, second sidebar nerd alert. There, we did see Dyson Spheres <laughs> making appearances in some Star Trek episodes, but they were like uh, these old relics from like tens or hundreds of thousand year old like civilizations that didn't exist anymore. Um, uh, and finally, there's Type Three, which this is the according to Kaku, this is how advanced a civilization would need to be to achieve time travel. Um, and these civilizations at this level can control the entire output and uh, energy output of a galaxy, if you can even comprehend that, uh, and then control stars as well as black holes and possibly time itself. <laughs> so that just kind of like helps put into perspective, like the, the levels of, of technology involved, um, according to Michio Kaku. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some workarounds. I, I'm not sure. But um, let's keep going here. So here's where things start to get interesting. And I know we're kind of jumping around in the timeline a lot, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but bear with me. We're going to turn the clock back just a little bit, uh, back to September 16th of 2003, this is when an organization by the name of the John Teeter Foundation was created in uh, Kissimmee, Florida. And this foundation self-published this book that's called A Time Traveler's Tale. And that had the collection of message board posts that were created by John Teeter back in 2000 and 2001. And, uh, it's available today. You can buy it on Amazon uh, for close to 200 bucks. <laughs> um, and we'll get into who started this foundation in just a moment, because there's a couple other things we have to <laughs> touch on first. So sometime after the foundation was started, apparently Pamela Moore had anonymously received a copy of this book, and it was apparently... It was signed and also had song lyrics written in, in the back of the book. Now, Rasmus found out about this, and he had believed that the foundation sent her this book kind of as like a, a thank you for perpetuating the story of John Teeter, uh, since she had kept talking about it for like years after the whole thing was over. But when Rasmus inquired about who sent the book to her, in an interview, uh, she denied knowing who sent the book, and she also claimed there was no signature on it. And there were, she did say that there were song lyrics written at the end, but apparently they were not from the secret song. <laughs> so in Pamela's mind, it looks like this wasn't like 
people were thinking this was like a gift from John Teeter as like a, a message from the future or something like that. But in Pamela's mind, uh, it was not, uh, apparently this, this book wouldn't be the last thing that Pamela would, re- would receive, uh, in regards to, uh, John Teeter stuff in the Mike Savay 2017 interview, she told Savay that she received this package that had a few different items in it, allegedly from the Teeter family. And there was a letter in it from John, John Teeter. <laughs> and then also John Teeter's mother, uh, a woman by the name of Kay Teeter, along with a CD that had a couple of songs on it, which she didn't reveal to survey in the interview. She said something along the lines of like, people would look into it too much and try to, uh, <laughs> try to do some detective work to decipher any, any meaning in the songs. But it sounds like it was just kind of like a random mixtape of songs. <laughs> and then another perhaps stranger detail that Pamela revealed to survey was that, there were multiple Johns that she had apparently interacted with over the years. Like, uh, you know, are these different, different Johns from different timelines? Many people think it's pro- probably wanted to become hoaxers and, and try to cash in or something. I don't know, claiming to be Teeter, but there's just no way of knowing like who was messing with her. And if there was like the original person who was posing as John Teeter was interacting with her still, I'm assuming most of them were all, if not all, were were faking it because some things are going to come to light as we move further into this story that uh, will explain this whole ordeal a little bit better. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at someone else here. We're going to bring someone else into the mix if this wasn't uh, complicated enough already. So... Yeah, it's kind of like a who's on first situation. <laughs> so this other guy, we're we're gonna look, we're gonna look at seem to blow the lid off the whole John Teeter story. This guy is uh, a multimedia artist by the name of Joseph Matheny. Matheny came forward um, years back, claiming uh, to have been a consultant for the John Teeter project. Uh, back in the late 90s, which he said uh, this project was uh, something like a, a postmodern storytelling effort uh, to use the Internet to create this like new folklore for the millennia in our modern times. And I mean, if this is the truth behind it all, like well done on creating an engaging narrative that really uh really lit up a lot of people's minds. Uh, but Matheny believed that the group that he was affiliated with stopped doing the experiment sometime in 2000 before the Art Bell posts began. So anything after that, apparently he had no involvement with. And there's this other group that we're going to get into shortly that has involvement in the Teeter story. Perhaps they're the biggest players, but Matheny denied knowing who these people were. They weren't anyone that were part of the John Teeter project from the the late nineties. So it appears there's not really a connection between the two. I mean, at this point they probably know of each other, but it's, yeah, this is weird guys. (laughs) So it's like if Matheny's group started the whole thing in, in 1998, but they weren't involved in the art bell forum posts that went viral, 
Like, who was? Who was this copycat that took this 1998 facts time traveler story and ran with it? Well, uh, Rasmus uh, thinks that the responsible parties were definitely fans of Art Bell, and maybe they had found they found the old uh, 1998 radio show in an archive or something like that, and uh, they decided to run with this time traveler from 2036 story. Uh, but in the end, the whole thing blew up way bigger than they ever expected, and then they just couldn't let it die. <laughs> and Rasmus also has stated he's wondered that, you know, maybe these people might have like a a movie or book rights that they've been sitting on hoping to make some money off of it. And according to Matheny, he's heard that some people were trying to make money off the story as well. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Interestingly, there was uh, a 2009 uh, anime from Japan um, as well as an interactive game that's called uh, Steinsgate. And apparently this game features the character of John Teeter, who is a tra- uh, time traveler. Uh, so someone actually did try to cash in a, a little bit on this. I'm not sure if there was uh, some rights sold off or or what, but it's, it's kind of funny. And in the end... This Matheny guy has backed off the whole John Teeter story um, since there's a bunch of diehard believers in the story that I guess wound up harassing him uh, to the point of like stalking his LinkedIn page and calling people he worked for. Uh, so things were getting pretty crazy for him and uh, he just kind of decided to lay low versus, you know, trying to call things out. It's uh this whole time travel business is a, a risky business, apparently. So remember the the John Teeter Foundation from a few minutes ago? Well, this foundation was started by a lawyer who happens to represent John Teeter, and his name is Larry Haber. Now, Haber has been an attorney for many years, and he actually specializes in entertainment law. All right, this is going to get weird, folks, so (laughs) bear with me. Uh, According to Haber, John Teeter apparently never communicated with the public after the 1998 faxes and our bell posts, and uh, any communications afterwards were all handled by Haber, kind of like functioning as a proxy for the John Teeter character. And I know what you're thinking, like, oh, so this guy is probably John Teeter. Well, certainly the knowledge that this guy, this lawyer, was running the foundation and supposedly legally representing some guy from the future raised some eyebrows, right? Clearly, this led many to believe that he may have been the responsible party and the true identity of Teeter, and it's like, case closed. But there's more to the story, if you can believe it. And it's not quite that simple. So... Larry Haber had some interesting connections, which may lead to the true identity of Teeter. For one, he has uh, a number of brothers, and one of these brothers is Maury Haber. And Maury is a computer scientist, and that fact alone might explain how, uh, if this was uh, set up somehow 
by uh, Larry and his brothers, it might explain how John Teeter had a lot of computer knowledge and technical knowledge, especially of the, the IBM 5100 computer. And, you know, maybe <laughs> this is like the, the smoking gun that shows that they were the, the ones creating this story. There was also apparently some debate as to whether or not one of the Haber brothers was named John, uh, which could also be kind of like, a, oh, there's John. It was an easy, easy name. Swap out the, the last name. Uh, but during a, a 2009 interview with Rasmus, uh, Pamela Moore was asked about the Habers. And uh, interestingly, she claimed that Larry didn't have a brother named John, but he does, in fact, have a brother named John, uh, John Richard Haber. Uh, so that kind of makes me look back on, on Pamela. Does she know what's going on? Was she in it involved in this whole thing? Or is she actually just someone who just believed wholeheartedly that this John Teeter character was real? (laughs) I don't know, man. It's, uh, (laughs) so Larry also backed this up in uh, a 2014 interview on fade to black radio, where he confirmed that his brother Maury worked for a big computer security company that was working on high level stuff. So like, yes, he has a brother named Maury (laughs) and he's a a computer whiz of some level. Uh, And some of the other things that Larry said in this interview were interesting, uh, such as this quote, he was, uh, responding to a question and he says, when I get asked this question, is it real? My answer is always the same. I don't know. I don't answer whether or not I do the work I'm hired to do, uh, in regards to, you know, is John Teeter real? And this is, uh, you know, it's kind of a convenient out, right? (laughs) But at the same time, uh, he claimed that a law school friend referred him to Kay Teeter, which is John's alleged mother, and that's how everything started with the John Teeter Foundation. Um, so unless like he's making this whole thing up, maybe Kay Teeter is a real person or it's a, a pseudonym for somebody else. According to Pamela Moore, she was unsure if Larry Haber was even representing anyone real or not um, throughout this whole John Teeter Foundation deal. And uh, that he was just contracted for legal issues within the realm of entertainment, which, you know, that's what he does for his job, right? Um, and in 2016, uh, Rasmus found a, a P.O. box that was registered to uh, John Richard Haber, and he somehow acquired access. And I'm not, uncl- I'm not clear exactly how he, he went about doing this. Um, but apparently he, he was able to access, uh, Maury Haver's handwriting and he compared it with some old John Teeter photos that were posted back in the day, uh, that had Teeter's handwriting on it. And evidently, uh, these two handwriting styles were a match. And then, uh, another Haber brother, uh, by the name of Arthur actually emailed Rasmus because of this, like, Rasmus had posted a video online that was showing this comparison. And and like the day after it was posted online, Arthur emailed him um, and talking about these comparisons. And for, for Rasmus, it proved to him that the Habers are, 
are the ones that were behind uh, the creation and perpetuation of the character of John Teeter. So is this the end of the John Teeter story? It may be for some, but remember how I said earlier that Pamela had interactions with other John Teeters? Well, in uh, 2009, she claimed that nobody, nobody would believe how many people would try to contact her claiming to be him. And perhaps the, the most well-known impersonator uh, out there was someone who adopted the alias of uh, John Teeter II, like the Roman numeral two. <laughs> and in 2016, this guy uh, did an interview and asserted that he is a John Teeter, but he is the only one that's ever been photographed, written a book, or been on TV. And John Teeter II's identity, <laughs> surprise, surprise, uh, is not John Teeter <laughs> because we've learned that John Teeter was created by the, the Haber brothers. <laughs> so um, most believe that, you know, this guy claiming to be John Teeter II was this con artist by the name of Dana Lee Stern Sr., and this guy apparently has an extensive criminal record, multiple aliases, um, <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, claims that one of his sons injected Windex into his other son's brain to give him cancer. Like, pretty sure that's not impossible. So, yeah, this guy is uh, pretty full of it. <laughs> the true identity of John Teeter, too, was actually... Uh, exposed by this guy, Jason Quitt, uh, who runs the Crystal Sun via YouTube. And s subsequently, uh, John Teeter, too, had like books and, and uh, contracts and stuff. And once this information came out, um, like book sales tanked and all his contracts were ripped up. <laughs> and basically because he was using John Teeter, too, as his name, uh, but it wasn't his legal name. It was actually Dana Lee Stern Sr. Uh, and since then, apparently this Stern guy threatened a lawsuit uh, against Jason Quitt and also wound up resorting to like harassing and threatening him and wouldn't stop until he was paid 30 grand. So he's like trying to extort <laughs> this guy, Jason Quitt. So like this guy is just like something else. And apparently it got to the, the level that... Uh, the FBI got involved, uh, and there's, it's, yeah, there's so many twists and turns with this story, guys, so it seems right now that, like, this is the latest debacle in the, the John Teeter saga, and it really seems to light a passion in people. I guess, like, in the article I was reading, apparently, like, one of the the more recent theories beyond this was that, like, Donald Trump was John Teeter, I think that came from 4chan or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, there's so many different things that go on with this story. Uh, <laughs> and I'm honestly surprised that like a movie hasn't be, been made of, of this yet. Like the Habers really need to cash in on that Hollywood money for it, I think. <laughs> and if uh, all of that wasn't enough to show you that ultimately the story of John Teeter, whether you want to believe it or not, was most likely a hoax. Like 99%. <laughs> Here's one more tidbit that I came across in my research that 
I uh, I never knew about, and it's really interesting. This was uh, this was posted over on Stranger Dimensions. So in 1986, there's this company called uh, Steve Jackson Games, uh, and they published this thing called GURPS, or G-U-R-P-S, which stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. Uh, This thing is like a framework for role-playing. Think like Dungeons & Dragons, but unlike uh, an RPG like D&D, uh, which is like a self-contained uh, realm with a strict set of rules. The GURP system was used for a number of different games and different kinds of campaigns. Um, so it sounds like it was maybe maybe a little bit more robust than D&D. <laughs> Quick disclaimer, I've only ever played D&D once in my life, and it was a long, long time ago, and I think I only made it like an hour into the game. <laughs> so... There's this campaign using the GURPS system called Cyberworld, which was published in 1993. And a little later, this early, uh, once, you know, internet was made available to the public, which I think was in 1994, um, there was this early website called Spear Weasel Online, and they posted this, like, future timeline uh, for the Cyberworld game, and... uh, that this fan had tweaked and rewritten from the original story of Cyberworld. And the original takes place in the year 2043. And it's uh, the world, the history of the, the, the world that this game is based on had this like plague outbreak in the late nineties, uh, a rising of a police state, a stock market crash, a typical, typical like post-apocalyptic fair. <laughs> but in the, the fan revision by Spear Weasel, it goes something like this. In 1999, uh, terrorists steal a plane, crash it into Capitol Hill, kills the president, a bunch of Congress members, uh, lots of civilians, and then the vice president takes control. And then in the year 2000, a provisional government comes into power. After that, uh, American civil liberties begin to weaken from government overreach. And now here, here's the part you want to listen to. And let me know if this sounds familiar. In 2004, public resentment festers and hits a peak in, uh, in 2004 when militia movements begin to rise and challenge the provisional government. Chaos ensues and martial law is declared and the Const- Constitution is suspended. Uh, by 2005... A new civil war begins in the United States, starting in Idaho and Oregon. And then by 2015, after 10 years of civil war, that war ends. And then this new Cold War between a uh, Russo-Japanese alliance starts heating up between them and uh, America and also China, I guess. And uh, then in 2014, uh, 2015... In this, uh, in this story, Russia and Japan launched this single massive nuke attack uh, on the U.S. And then retaliation happens, World War III, and then, you know, <laughs> and then jump to, like, the future. So tell me that doesn't sound an awful lot like the John Teeter uh, timeline of events from the world he supposedly came from. It's not an exact match, but the key points are there, like... 
Add in a time traveler to the mix who's retrieving something from the past to help save the future, and you pretty much have the story of John Teeter. <laughs> it's like even almost to like the year of events. You've got like the 2004 beginning of the Civil War, and then like the 2015, like everyone gets nuked. Um, and even within the original framework of the cyber world story, there's like the uh, police state, <laughs> uh, market crash, there's like a pandemic going on. Uh, it's It does make me wonder if maybe the, the Habers or Matheny um, were familiar with this RPG game and its story. Uh, you know, maybe Maury Haber knew about this game if he, he's big into <laughs> computers and all that, you know. it's uh, I had never heard of it before, but, you know, this edited timeline story by this Spear Weasel website, uh, it's kind of like the, the foundation for the whole John, John Teeter story. And this was on the internet like four, three, four years before the Art Belfaxes in 1998. So plenty of time uh, was there for this story to be kind of found and reworked into something uh, that turned into the John Teeter story. So, you know, I don't know for sure, but it kind of makes sense to me. <laughs> All right. So let's start wrapping things up here. In, in the end, uh, most people nowadays believe that the John Teeter story was uh, a clever hoax. And I think that all of the evidence and debunking out there leans heavily towards it being one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want to believe that there was a time traveler from the future, but, you know, it's everything out there that's information to the public and, uh, you know, people like Rasmus doing, doing his homework and finding out all the information about the Habers and, and, uh, it's, yeah, it just seems like, yeah, this is probably <laughs> just, uh, you know, a story. And especially with Matheny's revelation as well, saying he was involved in this like art group that was trying to create some new kind of lore for the millennia. <laughs> it seems clear that, you know, these parties were responsible. Um, but I don't think at least, I haven't found any like public acknowledgement or statements that Larry Haber and his brothers have ever come forward publicly admitting this whole thing is a fake. Uh, but it is interesting about, you know, the amount of knowledge that the John Teeter character had about uh, physics and, and different uh, things that were happening in the world. Uh, so, you know, I guess that can be explained by, by, uh, Maury Haber, who was a computer scientist, and and perhaps he had some connections to other people who knew some physics <laughs> when they were coming up with the story, or even borrowed ideas from other stories like this uh, cyber world thing. I suppose it wouldn't have been terribly hard to create uh, to craft a story like that. So why John Teeter? What made his story so compelling? Why did it resonate with so many people, and why did so many people just terribly want to believe <laughs> that this thing was true. Um, what about this story made, made people believe he was a, a real time traveler and not just another hoaxer because, you know, for sure there's, there's been people claiming to be time travelers for years on the internet, <laughs> even before the internet, I'm sure. Um, for starters, you know, it was different times back when the first facts dropped 
into Art Bell's lap in 1998. And these stories were aired on a French radio show, uh, like in the heyday of shows like X-Files and uh, what else was on on TV in the 90s, like Dark Skies. <laughs> I can't really remember. Um, a lot of people were into weird stuff and, and wanting to believe in it. I mean, I guess that's still true today. And, you know, the, the original facts mentioned Y2K being this huge disaster and nothing ever happened, but it was this big story in the news and it was on a lot of people's minds. And there was certainly a lot of fear uh, that it was going to mess some things up. And uh, there's actually some people who believed that Teeter's coming back in time was to stop <laughs> Y2K. Uh, and that's why it never, never got bad, apparently. Um, but, you know, so many strange stories got broadcast on Art Bell's show back in the day. And when the forum posts and pictures and interactions with people started happening by this John Teeter character or Time Travel Zero, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, uh, it made it all the more compelling. And then back then, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened yet, but the Bush-Gore election took place. And if you were alive back then, uh, you, you probably remember the Florida recount and then Bush being appointed by the Supreme Court, uh, you know, and Gore won the popular vote, <laughs> but then Bush became the president. You know, uh, it's, I think people were probably drawing on parallels with real world politics and they were wor worried about the future and like where things were going. Uh, geopolitically and otherwise. Uh, so, you know, the, the John Teeter story was just ambiguous enough and close enough to reality to be almost believable uh, to people then, and even now for some. <laughs> so in the end, we're left with the question of, is time travel real? And if it is, where are all the time travelers? Well, I think Teeter, real or not, and actually not, <laughs> summed up that, uh, that question pretty well. And perhaps there's some things that we can do to improve ourselves in this world um, and for the world itself and not wind up in a world like Teeter's 2036. friends is the story of John Teeter. Thank you all for listening and sticking with me until the end of this uh, wild, wild tale. I know it got uh, a bit hairy for a minute and believe me when I was putting this all together, there were so many twists and turns and it was making my head spin at times. Uh, I was familiar with the original story uh, since like I found out about it pretty shortly after it all kind of came to the internet. <laughs> and uh, I mentioned in my last episode that I used to frequently check the johnteeter.com website to see if there was new updates. But, you know, after all that stuff uh, that came after with all the investigations and the fake John Teeters, and <laughs> I never knew things got so intense. But anyway, I, I hope you liked this episode. Uh, and if time travel is real or possible, 
where would you go? Would you go to the past, the future? Is there a specific historic event that you would would have wanted to witness? Like, I know for me, like I would want to go back and see like how the pyramids were built in Egypt. <laughs> uh, leave a comment over on uh, my Instagram or Facebook uh, post announcement uh, for the episode, and and <laughs> let me know. Uh, that's always a fun uh, a fun conversation to have. So a couple of quick shout outs, uh, as always, thank you all for listening to my show. Uh, you all rock and it means so much that people all over the world are downloading this show. The last episode for part one of John Teeter, uh, the John Teeter saga skyrocketed, um, strangeologies downloads, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm digging the deep dives in the podcast format a lot. Uh, I hope, hope you all are, are enjoying, enjoying the uh, different topics I'm covering. Uh, if you're new to the show or haven't listened to my first, my first episode, uh, basically I had started strangeology as strictly this like Instagram account doing informational posts about, you know, cryptids, UFOs and all things weird. And, uh, as time went on, I realized I needed, uh, something that could handle a much wider scope, uh, of being able to report on things and, you know, something, something a lot more robust and like podcasting and, and, uh, YouTube videos. So it's definitely the way to go. So thank you all for, uh, following me on this crazy journey. Quick shout out to all the countries listening in. We've actually had a few additions. Uh, so uh, just going to list them off real quick. We have uh, the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, Germany, the Netherlands, Ireland, Japan, Iceland, Sweden, Brazil, Argentina, Cyprus, Latvia, South Africa, India, Nepal, Morocco, Austria, Norway, and Mexico. So that's like over 20 countries now. That's really, really cool. Uh, sorry. I, just, I don't know. It's exciting. Um, and, uh, as far as other, uh, news, uh, this week I'm running a sale over on my shop. So if you're looking to grab some strangeology merch, uh, for a deal, uh, the sale is running until March 27th. That's this coming Saturday, uh, 2021. Uh, so I've got a lot of items in the shop. Hopefully some stuff you think looks cool. Uh, I'm always adding new things, <laughs> so be sure to, to keep an eye over on the shop. And if you haven't yet, please give me a follow on Instagram. We're almost at 3,000 followers there. Uh, so it would be awesome if you could join us uh, in the conversation on Instagram. Uh, we, we like to have fun over there. You can also find Strangeology on YouTube. Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, though Instagram is really where I'm at most of the time. Uh, and if you'd be so kind, I'd be uh, grateful if you could also take the time to leave a review of the Strangeology podcast if, if you have the chance. <laughs> no big deal if you don't. And on a final note, uh, I'm hoping to be getting out on the road this uh, spring and summer to maybe do some on the ground, uh, stuff, uh, investigating places and, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, and also to hopefully hit up some, some conventions as things open up in the country. So, uh, stay tuned for news on that front. All right, folks, that's the show. So 
Until next time, and as always, take care of yourselves and each other, and keep it strange.